How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Take it, shoot that, shoot that. How are we going in the middle? Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, if any of you happen to be concerned even one bit about the Nets coming up small and two heavily marketed contests this past week, including uh, last night's loss in Philadelphia, I'm here to tell you, don't. Believe me, the Nets, from the top down, they understand that the Sixers now have the equivalent of a two-game lead on them in the battle for the top seed in the Eastern Conference, you know, with the tiebreaker. And I'm telling you, they don't care. So neither should you. In this episode, I'll get into all that went down over this last busy week. And to help me with that, I'll be bringing back another one of my favorite special guests, the terrific writer from Forbes, Mike Mazio, will be hopping on a Zoom call with me soon. So stick around for that. Also got a ton of audio clips I gathered over the last week that I think you'll enjoy hearing. And if you do... I once again ask that you please subscribe to this podcast on the new WFAN platform called Odyssey. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, among others. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to send me some comments in the review section. So let's start with the biggest issue I've heard from many of you fine folks, and that's the decision to hold out Kevin Durant for the Philly game and instead keeping him out on the floor when the Nets were up 40 in the fourth quarter the night before in Minnesota. Folks, I I know it's an awful look. I get it. But understand, this was predetermined. Forget what you heard from head coach Steve Nash after the game on Tuesday night, that they would wake up on Wednesday morning and then decide. That's a lie. 
How do I know this? Because this is what Nash said when I asked him prior to last night's game. Here's the clip. Hi, Steve. I'm sorry to belabor the point about Kevin, but as you were managing the game yesterday and the lead was growing, did you ever come to a point where you had to make a decision? You know, do I, is there a chance that we could have him available today versus let's get him the, the ramp up minutes that we desired to move him along in that regard? Yeah, the way they definitely thought about it, the, the way it was designed, the ramp up is to have 48 hours between, you know, high intensity physical out, output. So, you know, it's not really ideal to limit his minutes last night and have him come right back and play without that 48 hours in between in a sense. So, you know, I, I never really wanted him to do both. You know, I think we got to protect him and make sure, although, you know, he's dying to play, um, we, we got to make sure we protect him and he can fully overcome this injury and feel strong, you know, going forward. So um, we didn't really consider it once he started and played last night. It was more, it was more at what time do we get him out of the game uh, that was, you know, kind of already put to bed, knowing that he needs to get more minutes in his legs uh, to build and grow and to, you know, ramp, his, ramp himself up again. So there's some, like, 48-hour rule, apparently. Like, not literally, I don't think. I'm Really, it just means no back-to-backs. You know, just to make sure there's no re-aggravation of that hamstring injury. And I think the original plan called for KD to play both these games. But, you know, unfortunately, the Minnesota game got pushed a day because of yet another senseless police shooting in a Minneapolis suburb called Brooklyn, of all things. Anyway, that's a topic for a different kind of podcast. So for you folks, just know that the Nets have no intention of deviating from what their performance team is telling them whether or not you have faith that they actually know what they're doing. The Nets believe, and, you know, I can't say I disagree with them, you know, they believe that the number one seed in the East will be worthless if they don't have their big three of Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden all healthy and ready to go for 16 postseason wins. And know this, even if the Nets somehow had miraculously pulled off that comeback from 22 points down in the fourth quarter last night. You know, there's still three more back-to-backs on their schedule, and, you know, others where certain guys will probably be on a load management. You know, I would have absolutely zero trust that this team could hold on to a lead for a top seed. It's just not worth it, you know, avoiding a potential Milwaukee series in the second round. Again, you know, I like the Nets' chances against that team if they're whole. And the same goes for the Sixers. Now, you can make a case that Nash should have brought Irving back into the game last night when the Nets got close. I think they got the deficit within three a couple of times with at least two minutes to go. But remember, you know, Kyrie hadn't been with the team since getting tossed in the Laker game on Saturday. Another couple of personal day absences. Again, you know, since I don't know anything about his particular situation... I can't really comment. But yeah, I'm getting a little bit concerned. Look, you know, unlike during his time in Boston, you know, whatever is going on with Kyrie this season hasn't affected him on the court. He's sixth in the league in scoring at almost 28 points a game and just two three-point field goal percentage ticks from a 50-40-90 shooting split. In addition, 
like I noticed last year when I was actually allowed to walk into a Nets locker room, you can see how much his teammates gravitate toward him as a leader. Listen to what Alizé Johnson said the day before he signed his new three-year contract to become the Nets' official 15th rostered player. Here's the clip. Alizé, uh, you're playing on a team with you know loaded with stars. Do you have any one particular go-to vet that you go to for advice, and what was their advice? On this team, you're saying? Yes. Uh, I probably go right now to Kyrie. Um, he's been somebody that um, you know I've been on the court with, and he's been trying to just you know tell me to keep it simple and take my time. Um, so you know him staying on me is nice, and I like criticism um, on the game um, just to get better. And I know he's been in it for a long, a long time. So um, right now, Kyrie's been you know really helping me uh, offensively, uh, just you know take some strides and just uh, being patient when I'm out there playing. Interesting, huh? It's not like Alizé Johnson plays the same position as Kyrie, but yet Alizé goes to him for advice. Now, Alizé Johnson is making quite an impression in his own right. You know, I used the word hungry when I was talking about him last week, and it's kind of good to see that he hasn't lost his appetite now that he has some security, at least for the rest of this season. Honestly, I can't fathom why he hasn't usurped Timothy Luau Cabarro in Nash's pecking order by this point. I mean, if you're thinking that you need TLC to space the floor, well, you know, let's take a look at how he's been shooting the three ball lately. You know, he hasn't made over 40% of his long balls in any game since February 18th, going 15 for 79, 19% from deep in that 17-game stretch. So, yeah, I'd like to see what Alizé can do in some of these games where the Nets' inactive list is, you know, lengthy. You know, he definitely provided a spark last night, albeit in a game where the Sixers took the foot off the gas. But here's what Nets guard Bruce Brown said afterwards about Alizé. Hey, Bruce, uh, Alizé is showing the same type of grit and hunger that you always show on the court. What was it like to play with him in that comeback? It's huge, man. I mean, he, he's nothing's ever get, given to him. He didn't go to a high major school, or I don't even think he went to a mid-major school. Uh, so he's worked for everything he got. Uh, he's going to keep working. And I love his energy. I mean, he does little, literally everything. Uh, he guard the five, the one. Uh, so huge for him. So, yeah, you know, give me some non-garbage time Alizé Johnson minutes over TLC, please. It'll be worth it just for his defense. And you know who else has been making a name for himself with his defense? That would be, of course, Nicholas Claxton, who got his first start of the season on Tuesday night in Minnesota. And the Nets absolutely walloped the T-Wolves in Claxton's 21 minutes, scoring them 66-45. to You know, on the season, Nets are allowing 102.6 points per 100 possessions when Claxton is on the court. Now, granted, he usually plays against other teams' backups and Carl Anthony Towns set out for Minnesota the night he started. But, you know, he's definitely developing a reputation. First, you know, here's Nets wing Joe Harris on what Claxton gave them in the blowout over the T-Wolves. Hi, Joe. This was uh, Nick's first start. I just want to know what you saw of him in that role. Yeah, Nick has been great for us, whether he's, uh, you know, in a starting position like tonight or the minutes that he has coming off the bench. Um, you know, I think, uh, 
his ability just to, you know, mix things up defensively. You know, we're able to kind of switch one through five when he's out there. Uh, it, uh, you know, it changes the game uh, for us a little bit, especially on the defensive end of the ball. You know, he does an excellent job just contesting stuff, coming back, rebounding, but then he's also long, active enough to guard guards. Like Joe Harris just said, Claxton is getting the league's attention with his ability to switch one through five. And that also means that these opponents will now be figuring out different ways to attack him. Shake Milton got him a few times last night for the Sixers, but no guard has been as successful against Claxton as Dennis Schroeder was on Saturday night, you know, in that Lakers route over Brooklyn. According to NBA.com, Schroeder beat him for three laps with Claxton as the closest defender, though he also missed a three ball. Still, you know, definitely goes down as a learning experience night for the soon-to-be 22-year-old. And here's what he had to say about that after the game. Hi, Nick. As word gets around about your ability to switch out and guard uh, ball handlers, uh, th those teams are going to probably make some adjustments. Dennis Schroeder got you a couple of times. What was your learning experience from that uh, from that game? You got a real quick first step. Yeah, he caught me a few times. Um, so next time we play him, I'll give him a little bit more room. And... You know, I take a lot of pride in that, so you know I'll come out tonight ready to ready to defend. Again, that was Nick Claxton after a rough night, not just for him, but for all the Nets. Schroeder and Irving were rejected in the third quarter when it was a four-point game, but you know then LA pulled away fast. Lakers made twelve of their last eighteen three-point attempts, and you know Brooklyn didn't have a shot with KD on a twenty-four-minute restriction. I know there was a lot of talk on the center disparities, and I'll get to that in a minute. But to me, you're not beating the Lakers if you're outscored 57 to 15 from the three-point line and 25 to 11 off turnovers. No matter how badly Andre Drummond whooped the Nets' Lamarcus Aldridge down low. Personally, I chalked it up to a, just another game where the Nets didn't respect their opponent. You know, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis out for LA. You know, I believe Brooklyn brought their A effort, especially defensively. I don't know that Durant entirely agreed with me, but here's what he had to say about the Lakers' hot shooting. Hi, Kevin. Uh, their success from the three-point line, do, from your vantage, did you see it as more of uh, your team's breakdowns or you just chalk it up to them getting hot? There's a couple breakdowns, but they got hot. I mean, Big McLemore hit four over a hand in that fourth. Uh, Pope was hitting shots, you know, from the Tracy. So, um, I mean, from the three. So, like, you know, it was a little bit of both. So, yeah, you know, the Lakers got extraordinary efforts from their depth guys, like Ben McLemore, like Katie just said. You know, meanwhile, the Nets got almost nothing from guys like Joe Harris, Landry Shamit, Jeff Green, and Blake Griffin. Their depth was better than the Nets' depth for one night. That's all Saturday proved. I don't think that game meant anything more than that. Now, this past week's games as a whole did make me wonder how the Nets will defend some of these bigger teams. And you have to believe DeAndre Jordan has reasserted his value to the organization with the way he performed against Philly's Joel Embiid last night. Yeah, I mean, Embiid dropped 39 on Brooklyn, but he went 13 for 29 from the floor. That's a take that in any playoff game. 
You know, if that's the case, you know, what do the Nets do with Aldridge and Claxton? You just can't play all three of them. You know, my gut is telling me that Claxton will be the odd man out in a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup. And with Aldridge getting the nod against Sixers back up Dwight Howard in addition to some minutes against Embiid. And, well, who's going to defend Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris? You know, Harris, I think, hurt Brooklyn more than Embiid did last night. You know, it can't be Joe Harris. You know, that doesn't work at all. So, you know, here's how I'd go. You know, Jordan on Embiid, Kyrie and Jordan on Danny Green and Seth Curry, you know, understanding that they'll switch on off-ball screens and scram out of bad matchups underneath with either KD or Jeff Green, who will start out on Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, respectively. And, you know, I think Griffin has a shot at earning time here. You know, if he can get some of the rhythm back in his offensive game right now, He's nothing like the 20-point scorer he was two years ago with Detroit. You know, his value is, you know, the dirty work. Setting hard screens, diving on the floor, taking charges. Speaking of which, you know, in that win over New Orleans last week, you know, in addition to helping hold Pelicans forward Zion Williamson under 20 points and 50% field goal shooting, for the first time that had been done like 25 games, Griffin also took a charge from Zion. Something I had to ask him about after that game. Hi, Blake. Uh, Zion Williamson came into the game with a lengthy streak of 20 points, 50% shooting, and you guys uh, halted that. What was the key? And I think everyone wants to know what it felt like to take a charge from him. Um, yeah, team effort on that. You know, he's a he's a great player. Um so, you know, just, just making sure we're physical, um, not try not to give him anything easy um, and, 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 you know, make him earn everything. But, you know, he's a great player. Um, charge, you know, I've taken a lot of charges in my career. I don't think twice about it. So it's just another charge. Just another charge. You know, Zion's a tank. Anyway, Griffin is another guy who's not going to play on back-to-backs. And all these ins and outs are making it tough for Brooklyn to find chemistry. But folks, uh, like I said at the top, I'm really not too concerned about that. And like KD always says, this is a veteran group that just knows how to play. Well, everyone except TLC. Just kidding, folks. Anyway, this is a good time to bring in Mike Mazio, the excellent young writer for Forbes. And here's my conversation with Mike. I'm so happy to have on the line, folks, one of my favorite special guests. He's a terrific young writer from Forbes, Mike Mazio. Mike, thanks so much uh, for doing this tonight, uh, right after the Nets just played the Sixers. Welcome back to the City Game Podcast. Steve, thanks so much for having me. As always, happy to do it. All right. So uh, I guess the game show is called Deal or No Deal. Is this a big deal or no big deal? I would just say probably no big deal only because again, like going into this week uh, before the unfortunate, um, you know, police tragedy happened, uh, the Nets probably fully intended for Kevin Durant to play. They, they would play Monday and then they would play Wednesday. So they would have a day off in between. Uh, he's missed 23 games with a hamstring injury. They certainly didn't expect that initially, uh, but it happened. They were, they were proceeding on the side of caution. And I think at this point, your goal should be to have, 
Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving healthy and in your lineup for game one of the playoffs. Playoff seeding, you're going to have to win games on the road at some point. If, it's a, if, if it comes down to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals and it's at Wells Fargo Center, you just have to win the game. You know what I mean? You, you got to win the game. And so, you know, maybe we look back and say, you know, the Nets should have given more in this game. Maybe they should have sat Kevin Durant on Monday, or uh, excuse me, Tuesday. But, you know, there was the whole Shannon Sharp thing. There was all this stuff going on in the country. There's a lot to deal with um, for anybody, certainly Kevin, because he was in the firestorm. And so I think it was good that he played on Tuesday, had the big game, at least was able to take the flight, you know, again, given everything happened, basketball really doesn't matter. It's very insignificant, but at least they were able to get a win out of it, fly home uh, in good spirits. And then they gave everything they had tonight. And, uh, you know, after Kyrie comes out, they, they mount a comeback and, you know, Steve Nash decides to stick with the bench guys who, who did earn it and they almost pulled it out. And it was sort of kind of a, you know, you don't want to call them moral victories or whatever, but it was interesting. Doc Rivers was very upset at the end of that game that he had to put his starters back. And so, uh, you know, again, the last like 72 hours has been just so wild. And, uh, you know, again, like to go back to the question, I would say it's not as big a deal. And we'll see. Obviously, I'd love for these teams to meet. I think everybody would uh, in the playoffs. Well, the most recent article you had in Forbes was after they lost to the Lakers on Saturday night. Uh, so for those who didn't read it, I urge everyone to go on to Forbes.com. Uh, you get four free articles, at least it's on my uh, computer. So what were you? What was your thinking when you talked about how the Nets uh, lost to the Lakers, another marquee matchup, uh, how that one wasn't a big deal either? Right. Well, I just only say that because they, you know, have this kind of trend going this year under Steve Nash, where they really play down to their competition. Uh, Steve Nash usually calls them out for lack of energy and effort. And then next thing you know, they're playing an elite team in the league and they're giving it everything they have and winning those games. So you kind of, at this point, 50 something games of the year want to just say, Hey, you know, uh, you guys have shown me a big enough sample size where I kind of trust that when you are playing a big game, you get up for it and you bring the proper level of intensity. And sometimes when you're playing either bad teams or, you know, potential NBA, uh, finals contenders without their star players, you just, you don't have it. And also, again, with all these injuries, guys in and out of the lineup, rotations changing. I will say, obviously, the one thing I think you can't take away from that game is, you know, that Andre Drummond did kill them inside. And that's where, you know, again, tonight with, with Joel Embiid, nobody in the NBA can guard him, but maybe DeAndre Jordan can give you 10, 15 minutes where he's at least contesting shots and hopefully not buying the pump fake that he bought today. Because uh, again, well, Joel got whatever he wanted. I mean, he missed... So many easy shots. He could have had 59. I think he had 39. He could have had 59. That's how good he is. Yeah, but so in your mind, did DeAndre Jordan show you enough? You know, the Nets have a big man glut now, you know, with Aldridge and Claxton, and they want to play Griffin at the five and go small with uh, Jeff Green. Did he? Did Jordan show you enough that you think he's going to be an important playoff contributor, maybe more, even more so than Aldridge? It's, uh, you know, it's possible. Again, I think it probably depends on matchups, right? Uh, you know, in this particular game against Joel Embiid, he's the biggest body they have. I mean, they can play, obviously they can play LaMarcus too. He's a, he's a bigger guy, definitely bigger than kind of what I thought, you know, obviously not really watching that many Spurs games. He's a big guy, but uh, you know, he's, he's had his struggles right against the Lakers. He kind of struggled against Drummond. So there are specific matchups, I think, where DeAndre for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, again, you're probably not going to guard in these guys anyway, because nobody can. But against a, you know, a Drummond potentially in the finals or a Joel Embiid in the Eastern Conference finals, I think you could see, you know, Jordan being extremely motivated, knowing, hey, I came here to play in the playoffs. 
That's why I signed to be with, you know, Kevin and, and Kyrie. Um, you could see him because he's a physical body. He's got, you know, a few fouls to give, and maybe he gets you some rebounds in short spurts that he could be effective, you know, as much as anyone could be effective against a superstar like Joel Embiid. I'm talking with uh, Mike Mazio of Forbes. Now going back to the rest of that potential Eastern conference finals matchup with Philly to me, the biggest problem I saw was who's going to guard Tobias Harris. Uh, you know, Joe Harris, you know, obviously couldn't get it done. Do you want to put Durant or Harden on him? How do you see, you know, outside of Embiid, you know, and, you know, the Sixers are going to have problems guarding the Nets, all the Nets scorers. Who do you see? How do you see that kind of matching up for the Nets? It's a, Steve, it's a fantastic question. I'm sure the Nets coaching staff, again, you don't want to look too far ahead, but they're thinking about it too. And you're absolutely right. Tobias Harris has had an all-star season. He signed a huge contract, probably didn't live up to it last year, but this year, I mean, he's been phenomenal. And that's why they're, you know, at the top of the East. So uh, how you want to match these guys up? You know, I, I, I don't know going through it, but I do agree with you that like the Nets cannot guard Joel Embiid, but again, nobody can. And Ben Simmons is going to be a matchup problem. But I will say, you know, late in that game, they were fouling him and he had to go to the line. He was missing free throws. So I think that is a big advantage the Nets have having, you know, assuming that Kyrie and James and Kevin are all healthy. You have three guys that are shooting 80 to 90 percent uh, that you're probably again, when all these scouting reports go out the window. Everybody knows what plays each other's running, and it's that one-on-one -on -one matchups late in the game that you're going to trust those guys either get a clean shot off or you know get to the free throw line and make their shots. So that I do think is a big uh, advantage potentially for Brooklyn late in those games is that they have so many guys that can knock down free throws, and then again they can play you know small depending on how they want to go. Do they do they want to go and play you know match up with Philly and match up with Embiid, or are they going to decide no oh, you guys have to try to match up with us? Um, so that's, you know, that again, that's the chess match you hope happens. Well, they, you know, they're, they're a great defensive team. They can match, right. you know, with Simmons, you know, Simmons, I hate him. He's a punk, uh, you know, and he doesn't work on his jump shot or his free throws. He just, he has this entitlement air about him that I hate, but he's a terrific defensive player and he's surrounded and beads very good for a big man. And Doc Rivers obviously is a good defensive coach. So, the, the question is whether or not the Nets in a, you know, in a playoff type atmosphere can guard them enough so that their scores can get going. Yeah. Right. And they, and like you said, they can switch at least one through four, if not one through five. And the Nets are going to certainly be doing that as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, at, at that point, a lot of, a lot of things will have changed, right? The Nets will have probably have won two rounds of the playoffs. They'll know who the rotation is. You know, are they going eight, nine deep? Um, you know, are they going to be again? Cause they're still experimenting. It is crazy, right? Like they're, uh, yeah, we don't know in, who's healthy, <laughs> right? That's my, it is. It's just a crazy, you know, it's an odd season and who knows who's going to be healthy on any team at this point. Uh, you know, the Lakers are hoping for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, Jamal Murray just went down, which is crushing to Denver's hopes of making a run because they look fantastic after getting Aaron Gordon. It really is like a survival of the fittest thing. Uh, at this point. And so that's going to be really interesting uh, for all these coaches because, you know, playoff minutes are going to ratchet up. You're going to want to play Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden 40 plus minutes because why wouldn't you? They're superstar players, but it is going to be interesting, you know, if they get that far 20, 25 games into this thing, uh, how healthy and, and, and fresh those guys are. All right. Enough about the Sixers. You know, I hate them. So let's move on <laughs> to the, the, the Nets. You know, we talk about players missing time. One of the 
that stars is missing time, non-injury related, and that's Kyrie Irving. Um, I always I ask people this, and I always you know we have to be careful because we don't have any inside knowledge of what has kept him out. But you know, do you think Nets fans have a reason to be concerned about uh, you know anything related to the Kyrie enigma? I guess you could call it. Right. Like, you know, all I can say is that going into the all-star break, basically I reported on Forbes that um, the Nets basically as an organization, Joe size, Sean Mark, Steve Nash were all frustrated while Kyrie was out during his uh, stint for personal reasons. Um, and Nash's concern was over a lack of communication, you know, basically from that point of where Kyrie initially went out, I think it was against the Sixers. When he didn't tell Nash, you know, what was going on, Nash said, hey, I texted him. I didn't hear back. Then again, after the game is asked the same question, says, yeah, I didn't hear anything back. So I do think Nash was, you know, frustrated. Again, if you're going to miss work, hey, you know, uh, let the coach know. Um, he obviously let the players, you know, his teammates know in a, in a group text. And sorry to and interrupt, he, but just, just so you know, the, the night before uh, the Sixer game, after the Timberwolves games, Nash was asked about whether Kyrie would be available. And he gave his body language. And tone kind of suggested that it was possible that Irving would have missed this one. So I, you know, maybe he really did know and just was a good actor. But I, I, that that is possibly the case again. Right. So anyway, to to the point, like the Nets were upset with him. Um, then obviously he came back. He started playing really well. Um, and then this, you know, obviously this personal family reasons. I feel like there was more transparency, at least from the Nets part. Originally, it, it seemed like there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding that. You know, of these past times Kyrie has missed, they have said, you know, personal slash family reasons, which I think, again, for transparency's sake, is good. Maybe everyone doesn't know exactly what's going on, but there is some sort of transparency there. Uh, whether, you know, whether it affects them in the playoffs, I don't know. Um, that's, you know, certainly something you would hope would not happen because, again, when this guy's on the floor, he's phenomenal. Um, you know, he's got every trick in the bag. I mean, he's taken, you know, Thibel tonight, any defender, I mean, he's going to put in the blender and the spin move against Thibel. And then, you know, he's got the best left hand, I think, of any player I've ever seen. Never seen anybody with their offhand do as many tricks as this guy does. So, yeah, I mean, you hope that Harden is healthy and commanding the offense. KD is hitting shots from mid-range and three and, you know, spacing the floor. And you have Joe Harris, who's a, you know, 50% three-point shooter out there and whoever you play at center. Um, I mean, this team has so much potential for greatness. But again, like you said, uh, with all the uncertainty going on in terms of injuries, guys being in and out of the lineup, I mean, we'll see, right? Even though we think this team has has fantastic potential, all the things have to come into place. Um, and those guys, those big three guys have to be healthy uh, come, come game one of the playoffs. Uh, Mike Mazio, Forbes, I've got a couple more for you, if you don't mind. Uh, you, obviously, you hear, just like everybody, the MVP chance, no matter who's at the foul line. I once heard it for Andrea Bagnani way back in the day. <laughs> Uh, you know, Julius Randle or Nikola Jokic tonight. It was Joel Embiid. So forget NBA MVP. Who's the Nets MVP? And how far do you think they can go if only two of the three were healthy in a playoff series or in the playoff total? Right. Okay. So Nets MVP, I think no question is, is James Harden. I think, I think, you know, before the Harden trade, I would have said Kevin Durant. Like he's the reason that they, he was playing at an MVP level which was more reason to bring in a third star because this guy coming off an Achilles injury was playing phenomenal basketball and the window was wide open and they should go for it. And obviously, you know, looking back, I think I thought the same thing everybody else did, even what Ben Simmons just said, right. He's not watching the nets. He's like, 
there's only one ball. I mean, that's what we all thought. And then James comes in, he's early on, he's sacrificing, um, you know, passing the ball, making sure Kevin Durant's involved, making sure Kyrie Irving is involved, uh, being selfish. And again, I think the biggest thing is that that vocal leadership, he's the one calling out DeAndre Jordan. We all can see it. Everybody said, you know, as the sources would tell me, they're like, Joe Harris couldn't do it. Kyrie Irving couldn't do it. They've got lockers next to each other. They're friends. You know, James is coming from the outside here. And he wasn't having that. You know, if DeAndre was blaming somebody else or not taking accountability, James said, hey, you blew that defensive assignment. We can't have that. And so I think that was really big. I think they needed that vocal leader. You know, I know Jeff Green was doing a lot of that stuff. I know Kyrie could kind of be capable. Kevin could kind of be capable. But I think he really stabilized things and kind of was that extra voice for Steve Nash. Maybe Steve Nash was telling these guys. I think he was telling these guys a lot of the same stuff. But to hear from James Harden, a guy that established who was actually playing with the team as their team, and I think was really valuable. So I would say, no, without question, again, all the stats obviously speak for themselves, the all-world talent, but I think it's all the intangible stuff that he did behind the scenes, you know, behind closed doors, out in front with, with DeAndre Jordan and calling him out. I think uh, James, no question. What, what, Steve, what do you think? Well, I think Durant is their most valuable player. Uh, and the, to me, he, his size enables them to do so many different things. They can play big. They can play small. Without him, they really have to play two bigs at once. They, you know, they have to play, you know, green alongside Claxton. They have to play, uh, you know, a Griffin next to DeAndre Jordan or something like that. They can't go, you know, when you have Durant, you know, on the floor, he can play one through five basically. And there's just no one, you know, who can guard him. You know, he's so long and his release is so high that, you know, in a playoff series, you just get him the ball and he's he's more automatic scoring than either Harden or Irving. Now, Harden's obviously a better playmaker for others. Irving is more spectacular, but I think just just from pure efficiency, it's Durant. And he's the guy, you know, you want with the ball in his hands at the end of a, you know, a playoff game. I guess a perfect answer. Also, I will give Durant credit, you know, obviously has there's a lot of moving parts in terms of why the Nets were able to get everybody they got. But Durant, obviously, you know, you listen to LaMarcus Aldridge, you listen to Blake Griffin. You know, Durant was the one who was texting us saying, hey, come here. So even if Durant wasn't the sole reason they came, because, again, these guys have ties everywhere. Griffin and Nash have a really good relationship. You know, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge has all these San Antonio ties. Sean Marks, uh, Emma Udoka, you know, you go on and on. Uh, but I will, you know, give Durant a lot of credit to your point in terms of the fact that Players want to come play with this guy for whatever he said about, you know, I've already got my titles, whatever. There's so many people on this team, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, you know, Aldridge, Griffin, all these guys are trying to get their first title. And, uh, you know, it would be incredible again for Durant to come to New York and then, you know, lead this team to a, to a championship or a finals appearance or whatever, um, and try to get these guys that ring that they all covet because, you know, a lot of them are in this for that. Yeah. So that's my last question. Cause I'm going to hold you, to this, your prediction, can they do it? Now, I, the second part of the last one was whether they could do it with two of the three. You know, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, what is your prediction for how far this team will go? Uh, I would say they cannot do it with two of the three. I would say I don't, I don't. Although the only caveat I would say is like, I think the best two of three for them would be Harden and Durant. If they had those guys, you know, maybe they could pull it off. But I mean, you know, I mean, I would say today, I'd say they have a real good shot to do it. But, you know, again, with, with the Lakers, it's like, 
you don't know with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And if those well, guys are assume, healthy, you got to assume everybody is healthy in the, you know, in the, in the rounds that they play, Giannis right. is going to be there for the Bucks. Embiid is going to be there for Philadelphia, LeBron, AD and Drummond for the Lakers. Are, will the Nets be crowned champions? Will there be a parade down Atlantic Avenue or, or one other Avenue, Flatbush Avenue? Is the, is the parade in your uh, crystal ball? Uh, today, I would say no, prob- but I think they can get to the finals. I do. I just wonder, you know, again, with the heat, it was like that first year they went to the finals and lost. Like I could see the Nets having a similar path where they get to the finals, lose, and then they figure out, hey, what do we what do we need to tinker with? You know, is uh, are Lamarcus and, and Blake going to come back off a finals team? You know, are they going to quote unquote take less money with whatever they're getting in buyouts and stuff? Does it even matter? Are they like, you know what, let's try this again and run this back with a full season, training camp, everything? So I, I think I could see it more next year than this year. But again, I mean, if they won, it, it wouldn't you know wouldn't shock me. I mean, they have. They have that much talent, but it's like, do they have, you know, enough defense or do they need to go get more? Uh, you know, again, I know they'll have limited resources going into the off season, but do they need to get, you know, an extra body? Is it that Nick Claxton jump, you know, after having this full run, does he become, you know, even bigger of a piece for them? So my tendency is say no. And then, you know, obviously if they win, I would not be shocked, but I would say maybe they need like a lot of these other super teams. They need that one year to go through it first before they get over the top. Folks, uh, Mike Mazio is right more often than he's wrong. You should read him at Forbes.com. Mike, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, I hope to see you one day soon. (laughs) Sounds good, Steve. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Great job there by Mike Mazio of Forbes. Thinks the Nets are a year away. Have to see. Anyway, thank you, Mike, and thank you all folks who listened in. Sorry about my voice. I try to make up for it by adding some extra clips got a lot of questions in on zoom this week i'll hopefully lose some of this rasp next week when i record again anyway uh once again i really appreciate it. if you could subscribe to this podcast on odyssey apple podcast stitcher or wherever you're downloading these episodes and also you know please feel free to post some nice comments on apple podcasts if you get a chance so until next time I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying once again, thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.